Well, we're back in the confession. We're in chapter 21. We're going to look at Article 2 today, maybe even get a little f further. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for another beautiful day, and we're grateful for not just the weather, but uh, an opportunity to gather this way and, and learn. We sit at the feet of uh, the Westminster Divines who labored and uh, argued and resolved to create a, this uh, confession. And uh, we're grateful for it. We pray that it will be helpful for us as we consider it as a summary of Scripture. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so the second article in chapter 21, and chapter 21, by the way, is of religious worship and the Sabbath day. Uh, the second article reads, Religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and to Him alone not to angels, saints, or any other creature, and since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other, but of Christ alone. Okay, so there's a number of things here to consider. Um, one, of the, one of the things that perhaps might s s kind of surprise you is the, is the uh, verb eusebio um, in Greek, where we get eusebius, uh, the church historian, is a word that's applied to whoever is worthy of reverence. So it's, a, it's something that is used for you know, the reverence that you direct toward your parents, for example. Uh, reverence that you direct toward your government officials. Um, uh, and it's used for God. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing to consider because obviously also in Scripture, when people revere in the wrong way uh, creatures, they're chastised, right? When people bow before angels, when they see the angels, uh, you know, they're told, get up. Um, I'm an angel. I'm not the Lord himself. I'm a creature like you are. So how do we, how do we any, any thoughts on how that kind of works? You know, how do, we, how do we revere, give the proper due regard and respect to people without kind of slipping into what we're told we shouldn't do here, and, and we can see from many examples in the Bible, we shouldn't do. Any thoughts? I think we should be reverent of anybody we think is important. Yeah, that's true, and that's what I, exactly what I said, Molly. You're on, you're on, we're on the same page. But how do we draw the line? So where, how is the line drawn and how do we separate these things? Yeah. I don't know, a thought just came to me. I thought about, you can respect somebody and not agree with them. Okay. You can, and, and maybe that plays out as maybe listening to what they have to say. And I know that I struggle with this. I interrupt like crazy. And no. it's so disrespectful. <laughs> it's, it's so disrespectful. It's disrespectful to... I interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Anyways, so maybe just shutting our mouths and, and actually really listening and hearing our two different things. And I've been challenged to shut my mouth and actually listen and hear. And that's an act of respect, even if you don't agree with what the person is saying. Yeah, and I think that's, that's certainly true. But I guess what I'm getting at is, okay, let's say you have a lot of respect for somebody, and you should. 
How do you distinguish that respect from the respect you have for God? Yeah, Christopher. I, I have a question. Is that word Eusebio applied to religious worship as well as to reverence to people? So it was a, a, you know, it's a word that's, you, you know, you have to understand in terms of context, like the word fear. You know, when we're talking about the fear of God, we mean something different than the fear of man, right? Other thoughts? I think what we have to acknowledge is that God is different. <laughs> God transcends uh, and is the creator uh, of all creatures. So there's a kind of reverence that we can that we can um, have for people. Uh, but we know that people and God are different. We're talking about you know, the holy other creator, you know, the, tran- the one who transcends all things, who is actually the one who uh, gives the authority to anyone else that they have, right? So he's the source of all authority. Uh, that, that's something to just kind of keep in mind. So, you know, I, I think that this is kind of a thing. Not, not, another thing to kind of keep in mind as we, as we think about when uh, human authorities disappoint us, right? Maybe we were thinking too highly of them, confusing them with God. You know what I'm getting at? Have you ever been disappointed by a church leader? <laughs> no, never happens. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, that's kind of part of the territory. I mean, they're not God. You know, and so we can take um, respect and reverence too far when it comes to, to people. And I think it's, we have a tendency to, particularly as young Christians, uh, when we see people who are much older than us in the faith, uh, to appropriately respect them and say, okay, wow, you know, that, that person is... Um, knows a lot more than me, he's got his act together much better than I do, you know, is someone I can learn from. But it's always a, a, a danger to kind of go too far with that. I guess that's what I'm getting. Yeah? I think for people my age, I struggle with this, it's easy to rely on your parents yeah. to lead you spiritually and just coast on their daily worship. Right. And so I think this was like Psalms 62 or 61 Psalms you preached on. It's like salvation only comes from the Lord. Right. It doesn't come from a human. So when you have that perspective, like, soul, wait in God. Don't wait in anyone else. Salvation only comes from God. You're not going to find it elsewhere. That's yeah. like how you kind of draw yourself back to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an important thing for us to remember. And so you now it comes into play in lots of ways. So, for example, later on, um, well, mediation. Let's think about that because it relates. Is it wrong to ask someone in church to pray for you? No, but there's only one mediator between God and man. So what's going on? Yeah, mediation is not petitioning. I'm sorry? Mediation is not petitioning. Not petitioning? Prayer is a petitioning. Okay, so when I'm asking someone to pray, I'm asking for them to, to petition but a mediator is a, is a, can you help me with that a little bit? We don't, we don't, we don't ask someone to pray to Mary so that she talks to Jesus so that God answers our prayer. I'm not even getting into the dead people. I'm just talking about alive people. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. But let's just think about alive people. 
So if you were to say to your wife, pray for me today, it's going to be a rough day. Uh, that's not a problem. No, it's, in fact, we should do that. We're told that. <laughs> we should be praying for each other all the time. But I'm not praying to her. Yeah. So that she prays to God. Right. I'm asking her to pray for me uh, for strength. Now, here's an interesting thing. Are you familiar with the, the, the word for prayer in Greek? It just means to send your wishes in a particular direction. <laughs> so, in other words, we've got to fill this out with a kind of context. Okay, who are we talking to? What are we asking for? Those kinds of things. Jesus is God, a God-man, and so he is the appropriate person to direct our prayers to. Uh, but at the same time, we ask for other people to pray for us, right? I think perspective uh, plays into it because the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord and the difference between man and God. Jesus says, don't fear the person who can just kill your body. Yeah. Fear the, the one who can kill your body and soul. Yeah, you know? and right. I think that gives you huge perspective. And I think you've talked about how power, there's like this inherent thing of fear and power and yeah. you know, how that gravitas and that whole right. thing. So. Yeah. David? I always wanted to know um, is there a value in God's I, I hate to use the word economy with him but like is there a value with him when there's more than one person praying for the same person uh, I know but let's say I'll just give an example so you're watching the movie uh, It's a Wonderful Life and at the beginning you know they're praying for uh, George Bailey and there's a whole bunch of people praying and you know I was always wondering is there really a value in a million people praying for one guy or just your grandma praying dolls angry. Yeah, well, let's think about, you know, I, I think that we have, you know, um, accounts in Scripture of people praying it together and things happening. We also have accounts of people just praying, you know, by themselves and things happening. Um, I think, I'm trying to think of a place where we're told that there's a difference. I think we have examples. I was thinking of when the town of Nineveh all went to Sathcloth and Ash. That was interesting. Yeah. Uh, so it's an interesting thing to study, I guess. Yeah, yeah. another episode would be, of course, Abr uh, Abram praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord is saying, I'll check it out myself. <laughs> Yeah. What about the value of a righteous man? Prayers that avail much. Yeah. Yeah. There is a distinction between you know the prayers of different people, which is uh, a good thing to th when you think about it, uh, and in another way can be a little bit confusing. So, you know, have you ever come across guys who are just kind of living for the devil, and they say, "Well, Grandma's praying for me." You know, I've got I've got an inside with God. Grandma's praying for me. You know, kind of thing. That means I've got like. A, ticket to do whatever I want because grandma's praying for me. No, there's some things you need to do for yourself, you know, like pray. It's still great that grandma's praying. Yeah, Christopher. I think as I reflect on different experiences over the years, it's there seems to be a real tendency for people to feel unworthy to avoid a direct relationship with God Yeah, and to try to set up other people as office to rely on the offices of other people yeah. in their life to be that go-between because they don't want to approach God directly and they don't want that responsibility. Yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've noticed that too. 
And that can also be kind of a, an interesting um, sort of occasion for people to kind of wake up to their, their tendency to misplace their faith. So I've known people who have walked with the Lord for years, but they're, uh, the people that know them uh, are not. And then that person who's been walking with the Lord for years sins in a dramatic way. And then even people who don't know the Lord are disappointed. Have you ever noticed that? Even the people who don't know the Lord are disappointed with what happened. They're like, of all the people that I thought would never do that, you know, they're actually disappointed. So there are people who are kind of watching us all the time. That's, we should take that seriously. But at the same time, people need to own up to, to their own responsibility to attend to their relationship with God. Just an observation. Other thoughts? Um, as far as being a mediator, you know, I've always thought of a mediator as someone who has the power to affect change. Mm-hmm. And um, Jesus being God mm-hmm. is the only one who can. Mm-hmm. And so when we're asking many others to pray with us and for us in this particular, whatever it is, we're all going before the throne asking for God to mediate in the way that we're requesting, mm-hmm. right? Make the final decision. We don't know how he's going to go, but we're trusting him. The fact that he's also man, uh, it gives us some uh, comfort that he understands what we're going through. Scripture tells us that. Um, now, here's something. that So this you can see where this is kind of trending. Uh, one of the things that we might be tempted to do is pray to the dead. Because, you know, Grandma, you know, is even closer now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe grandma's still got an in, you know? <laughs> you know? And, and that's where we cross a line, a significant line. So this is one of the ways that uh, Catholics fall into this. Uh, because there actually are, uh, we, I can think of an example in the Bible where somebody goes to Mary and says, you know, I, you know, and then what does she do? She turns to her son. I'm thinking about the turning of the water into wine, right? So, you know, somebody comes to her, she comes to him, and she's like, what are you, what are you, he says to her, what are you talking to me about this for? And then he does it. And so people say, ah, there you go. If you get in good with Mary, <laughs> you can get your, you know, your prayer answered. You know, even if you're a total jerk and kind of living for yourself, Mary's, you know, she's a woman. She's more soft-hearted. You know, you never know about Jesus. You know, he could get mad. But Mary, you know, <laughs> that kind of, that's actually the logic that's used. Now, now, I know we don't use icons, but one of the things that's interesting about icons is, have you ever seen an icon of Christ? Have you ever noticed that there are two eyes, one sympathetic and the other angry? That's, a, that's intentional. <laughs> because, you know, if, the, if he comes in judgment, he's angry. If he's sympathetic, he's gracious, merciful, that kind of thing. Now, I'm not promoting the use of icons. I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring. Because that's actually how people think. You know, you know we've got to catch them on a good day, that kind of thing. People use human logic. Yeah, Jiho. When we say mediator, we're saying the person that mediating is divine, right? So, like, there's a section on, medi- uh, on the mediator. Earlier. That seems like the whole thrust of the section that Jesus is both man and God, and that's how he is our mediator. But if we 
use somebody else or we, it's an act of worship towards that person. Prayer is an act of worship, that's why it's in the section. Right? Yeah. So it is improper to pray to, that's kind of the logic here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm having some fun because I'm trying to kind of explore how people slip into these things, how people slip into these uh, practices that are not biblical in character. It's the failure to recognize who you're talking to. So we're getting down to the distinction between God and man. We can have reverence and appropriate reverence to human beings, our parents, um, you know, uh, civil officials, you know, people in authority at work. We can have a but it's not the same thing as reverence toward God, even though we use the same word, right? Um, you know, have you ever seen like in old English people, someone saying, I pray thee, you know, to some human being? Is it, you know, what's, what's being implied? Is it imply that that person is uh, like, abs, you know, God? Or does it just mean, what's that? Well, I'm not even using an Anglican, is an. <laughs> I'm just. It's, it's, it was a manner of expression, in order to get a favor. I think that Sydney and and you, you all have something on this, but there's one that's very clear in our Bible. There's one mediator between God and man, man Christ Jesus. So, like, who are you praying to? All our prayers are nothing without the mediator. All our prayers are dead. You know, I think of Adam. You know, everything that we're thinking about or talking about is on this side of the fall. Well, Adam wasn't God on the other side of the fall. He was righteous. He was perfect. But he still needed God. Well, he needed a mediator at that point. But everything that we're talking about right now of religious worship on the Sabbath day is on post side of the fall. Well, you bring up something that I've been thinking about with regard to this article. It does note since the fall, but I wonder if that fails to appreciate the eternal character of the work of the Son. What I'm getting at is, like, was Jesus out of work before he died on the cross? Did he have nothing to do? Yep, Lisa. Well, that actually brings up a question I have. Can you really call prayer uh, mediation? Because, I mean, mediation implies that there's a conflict between two parties that needs to be mediated. So Christ fits that by the fact that he paid for a sin, which makes sense with post fall. Um, but if I'm praying for somebody, I'm not mediating for them, I'm petitioning So isn't that a pretty significant category? That's a good point. I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at is in terms of the relationship of the Father to the creation, it, it's always through the Son, even in creation itself. All things came into being through Him. You know, all things were made for Him. You see what I'm getting at? But I get your point, and I think it's a good point. Yes. I had to come to grips with something, and the Bible says that He lives to make intercession before us, for us, before the face of God. Jesus Christ, the creator of everything, right. intercedes for us. Right. It's mind-blowing. Forever and ever and ever. Right. That, that is a concept that completely, it took me weeks to like. I, I did, I, my mind was so blown because I had a skewed view of God and Jesus. 
and and the fact that this this man who his lifeblood flowed to make me white as snow actually prays for me. Yeah, powerful, powerful truth. Wow. There are times when people are too distraught to pray. Oh, sure. The spirit well, intercedes the groanings. Yeah, the spirit. That's, there's another interesting. So one of the things to consider is that um, the Father transcends creation. The Son and the Spirit are the persons of the Trinity that interact with creation. Which means that, uh, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll hear people say, well, God, God the Father is the Creator, God the Son is the Savior, you know, God the Spirit is the Sanctifier, as if, you know, they're not all involved in every thing. They are all involved in everything. In fact, there are, we're, this is actually a problem uh, within some churches because um, people fail to see how Christ is relevant uh, in creation at large. They think about Christ as only being relevant sort of inwardly. They don't think of Christ as the creator. They only think about him as the savior. But we're told he's explicitly the creator. Yeah. Sounds like you're saying two different things. You said that God the Father, I'm going to put my words to it, correct me if I've got this wrong, is transcendent but not is not imminent in terms of his creation. Correct. And then you just said they all are. Yeah, be through the Son, through the Spirit. So it's it's this is now we're talking about Trinitarian theology. So we have access to the Father through the Spirit. You know, uh, we have access to the Father through the Son. They are all God, but three persons, one essence. But when we talk about the persons, we never, like for example, was the Father walking in the garden in the cool of the day? I don't know, I wasn't there. Well, if you said yes, you're a Mormon. <laughs> That's why I said I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually very serious. That's exa- actually what Mormons that, think. That was a setup. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's, well, that's let me ask you, so who was talking to Abraham? It would have to be the son. Was he out of work? Did he have no work, nothing to do until... Oh, I think, he, <laughs> I think he's, he's eternally employed. Okay, so I, I agree. <laughs> We're on the Yep. So, uh, the Lord God was bush Abraham. Then chapter uh, Genesis 3, 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. Is the Lord the second person of the You, you just mentioned that was Jesus out of work until the fall? Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> so who was walking in the garden? Yeah, well, that's the point. In other words... The, the Father has always been understood as unapproachable, transcendent, above the creation. The Son and the Spirit have always been understood to be the persons of, of God who are interacting with creation. I meant, like you just said, that if you believe that the Lord God was walking in the garden, you're a Mormon. He was saying, I'm a Mormon. <laughs> well, if you say that the Father, the Father was walking in the... <laughs> the the first person of the Trinity, the Father. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's interesting that the mediator 
who was with the disciples actually told them to pray directly to God, which is an interesting thing. And so, uh, just in my as, name. Yeah, what's that? In my name. Yeah, in my name, exactly. And uh, so, I've always prayed that way, but there's other people that pray, that I've known to pray to Jesus. I don't think it even matters. No, this is this is a very interesting question, you know, because so, so basically, yeah. when I petition, uh, I actually I'm always thinking I'm petitioning God through through Christ, and I always think that uh, I don't really need. So in my mindset, I'm thinking I don't actually need to pray to Jesus so He can tell it to take to death. I'm never thinking that way. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm an adopted son, and I'm invoking the name of Christ through my love. An adoration, not out of oh, I got to make sure I put that name in. But the idea of just praying to the Father is very interesting. Yeah, we pray to the Father because we've been commanded to do that. That was unlike the Catholics who are praying to Mary, right? Like they never go to God, and so but Christ Himself is saying well, yes and no. I mean, when we when we talk about the way th things are understood in other uh, places, we have to kind of remember that the. Catholic that you're talking to at work is not, uh, you know, in a, a trained theologian in that tradition. <laughs> so if you were actually to talk to uh, Catholic um, theologians, they wouldn't say that. They would say that they're going to pray to God. They're not. They're not actually gods. But what I'm getting at is is, is that is that. There's a very set, important set of, of boundaries that we have to keep in mind. One is, what does Scripture require of us? What do we don't... What, we don't want to fall into our own vain notions about how to do things. So when I'm with, with you, and I say, hey, pray for me. I've got a big meeting this week. I'm not confusing you with God. You know? But there is a tendency that, that we have to be on guard uh, about when it comes to over sort of emphasizing the importance of other people in our lives, human beings. So think about, think, no, here's another way to think about it. So um, Job interceded for his family. Remember, he made sacrifices for them because he was afraid that they had sinned. Does that mean that his kids couldn't pray for themselves? Of course not. There's only one mediator between God and man. So every child in his household could pray for himself or herself. But that doesn't mean that, the, that a father uh, doesn't have a responsibility to pray for his kids. He does. And it's a very important responsibility. He represents his household before God. He's praying for his household. Uh, mothers pray for their children too. Um, but uh, we should be also teaching our kids to pray for themselves, right? Some, you know, you can pray for me. You don't have to wait for me. <laughs> you know, you don't, your access to the Father isn't through me. It's through the Son. I'm still important in your life, right? I brought you into this world. I can take you. <laughs> you know, I, I still have a lot of authority in your life, but I'm not God. That's why, that's why I kind of waded into this the way I did, by bringing up how, our, how we have a tendency to over- uh, regard the um, you know the authorities that you know we interact with on our in our daily lives. At the same time, they're still authorities. They they uh, have authority because God has given them authority. But we're not to 
address them in the same way. Yeah, Naomi. Um, so going to the Timothy verses, on, uh, there's only one mediator. First Timothy 2, 5. Uh, you know, Protestants, and I myself, they kind of pray in Jesus' name. Um, but when I look at this verse, I'm thinking, well, it's talking about salvation, not necessarily petition. So why do we say that? Why and is that the way we should pray? Should we not say in the you know in the name of the Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit or whatever? You know? Yeah, I think that in God's why, where has that tradition come from? I guess is maybe what I'm asking. Well, it's a, it's, it comes from uh, the the um, the taking this, of the testimony of Scripture as a whole and trying to understand how it all says something important to us. So we're told to pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the Spirit. You know, we're told in different places that these different persons of the Trinity have a place in our relationship to God. In other words, for example, when we think about the Spirit interceding for us when we don't have the words to pray for ourselves, we understand that the Spirit is at work in our lives. When we think about the work of the Son, uh, salvation, yes, but salvation uh, through him, which means that every sort of ongoing need that we have in our lives, uh, we, we rely upon him to, to intercede for us with the Father. The Father is the one to whom Jesus and the Spirit refer. So they take from you know, what has been given by the Father and give it to us. So we're in some very deep water here. This is Trinitarian theology. Well, and I'm, I'm thinking, it's interesting that that's the way I traditionally pray, but I don't see an example like that in Scripture. But maybe I'm wrong. Oh, Paul's, Paul's prayers are very much like what you're saying. Always. In if you look at the book of probably three times with Paul, I fall down on my knees before God the Father. So I mean, he's saying the Father, but he says God. And then he prays in the name of Jesus, and he invokes the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, he actually does name the Father, right? Does it, does it count if you don't use the name Jesus? What's that? Does it count if you don't use the name Jesus, like in Jesus' name? Well, he, the reason we use the, the, the phrase in Jesus' name is because Jesus tell, tells us if you pray in my name. So we have these different things that... No, no, I think it's, you know, God help me is a prayer, you know. And so it's, it's not as though you have to check off all the boxes all the time. It's as, and it's not as though um, the prayers of people who don't have a well-developed Trinitarian understanding of the Godhead are not praying well. But when we, when we talk about this, we're talking about how it, it works based on how Scripture reveals it to us. Just going back to your transcendency and imminency of God, suggesting that God is, it almost feels like you're saying he's only transcendent, but even when we pray to God in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray to the Father, he's imminent then. Yes, but he's imminent because he's transcendent. In other words, um, you can't locate one of the, the the reason he can be all places at once is because he transcends creation. But <coughs> isn't he <coughs> condescending? I guess 
to the extent of hearing our prayers, even though it absolutely is Oh, sure. I mean, there. Are, you know, I'm sure there are faults in my prayers all the time, <laughs> and uh, that's why it's important to, for the Spirit to help me and the Son to intercede for me, because it's the Son who has sat, who satisfied the Father. So we come to the Father through the Son, and He's the one who in, is the heir of all things, and we participate in his inheritance when we are in him. So, you know, this is kind of a classic. Okay, point out a, the word Trinity in the New Testament. It's not there. This is like, a, you know, a standard talking point for Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, so uh, we, what we do is we have a, a, a New Testament theology that draws from the whole to help us understand who God is and who we are. And if we are fixated on a particular, okay, you know, this isn't all covered in this spot. You know, this particular point where we see a prayer being prayed, like, um, therefore, the, the, the rest of these places where we do have some things to think about, where things are revealed to us, are now called into question. So we have to take the whole body of, of revelation to inform us in this matter. Yep, to you. Um, this might be a kind of a, a different question. Um, the headings in the chapters, are they part of the text of this document? That's like, a great question, but I think they are. I, I wish I could say with authority. <laughs> the, ty- the, the headings, so chapter 21 is it in the original uh, confession uh, called that? Well, and the, 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 the reason I'm asking is the term religious worship um, shows up as the first thing in the second plot, or second, second paragraph. Right. Um, why is it qualified religious worship rather than just worship? Just worship. And like, if, what is the scope of this thing? Like, right. Am I to worship every day, all the time, that kind of worship? Or is it yeah. like Sunday morning kind of worship? Or, yeah, what's the scope? So the reason is, because we've been talking about prayer. Right. Like, is singing, <laughs> you have to be mediated by Christ. Um, um, cleaning the toilet, right? Like, doing mundane things. Right. Doing, doing it well to worship God. It's not mediated by Christ. So what's the scope here? Yeah, I think that the scope is inclusive in the sense that, uh, for example, we are to pray without ceasing. We're told that explicitly, pray without ceasing. So um, there should be a worshipful disposition as we pray without ceasing. At the same time, we're to gather together and to worship uh, um, at you know a particular time and a particular location with a particular group of people, the body, you know, of Christ. So I think it's inclusive, but I do think there is a kind of relationship between the two that uh, begins with the corporate worship. So the corporate worship is the place uh, where we have um, you know fellowship with the body of Christ, and we pray 
Well, here's an example of uh, we, an earlier question was, is, is there any difference between uh, an individual praying and a group of people praying? Um, well, we're told that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Now, we have promises that God is with us all the time, but there's something uh, noteworthy about this, that there is something different. There's something kind of special. I've heard it explained in different ways. Uh, here's one explanation I've heard. Okay, if you have more than one child and your children come to you uh, as a group and ask for something, does that kind of communicate something more than just one coming to you? Well, it says that they've worked at it <laughs> to, to collaborate. <laughs> In other words, they, they have a, they're, they're kind of on the same page with this, and it's, it's, uh, it, it kind of counts for something, right? Like if, uh, you know, Jeho has Peter come to him and say, you know, hey, Dad, I want this. And like, ah, just, just one kid. But <laughs> if Lucas and Judah come and, yeah, we're all teamed up on this. Well, maybe we should go to for ice cream after all. <laughs> you get my, get my thought on that. But anyway, it's, it's just, that's just kind of a homespun, fun way to think about it. Anyway, uh, yeah, we're, we're in some deep water here. And, and what I'm trying to do is carefully... Uh, navigate the, the waters because, uh, you know, the points that I made about Eusebio, you know, uh, and reverence and the fact that it's used in these different ways in different places. We're talking about different people, though. God is different than a human being. And that's what this is getting at. These, these are not the creator. The angel, an angel is not the creator. Saints are not the creator. Any other creature, the fact that the word creature is used you know, the word creature, like when I hear the word creature, I think the creature double feature, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, I think about a monster. Anybody else like me like that? You know, I saw too many science fiction B-movies in the fifth, you know, from the 50s when I was a kid. Creature features, right? Creature just means created. <laughs> a creature is something that's been created. Um, so anyway, we're creatures. Maybe from the Black Lagoon even. <laughs> Uh, but we have a mediator who is the, the, the Lord, who is, you know, in his own person, God and man coming together. So he can represent us to God and represent God to us. He's the mediator. Yeah, David. We sometimes take the Trinity and separate them a little bit too much in prayer, but also push them all together too much sometimes. The problem, the problem with uh, trying to think in a Trinitarian way and behave in a Trinitarian way uh, is that uh, there are so many ways that you can go wrong. <laughs> there really are. I mean, it's just about every heresy has been somebody taking a truth and going too far with it without keeping the other truths in mind. And that's why it's a, this is a challenging thing. You know, we, we are Trinitarian. We're not Unitarian. We're not modalists even. You know, so again, there are a couple of heresies that have cropped up. Okay, uh, if there's nothing else to talk about, really. Yep, Mark. Just thinking about um, at the garden, you look at this section here. So since the fall, yeah. it's the statement since the fall. So prior to the fall, this was also true. And you listen to the voice of Eve. Eve listened to the voice of Satan. Mm-hmm. Adam listened to the voice of his wife, and in that sense, they were 
they were to be worshiping God only before the fall, is what this is saying. Yeah. After the fall, they had no way to worship God in the sense of having his acceptance of that worship other than through a mediator, Christ Jesus. Um, but that, anyway, just thoughts on, on that in terms of um, what worship, any, see it any differently than the way I've stated, what worship should look like in the garden in, prior to the fall. Yeah. I guess uh, what I think we see as the, of course, huge difference is the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection as being the thing that satisfies uh, God's justice on our behalf. And prior to the fall, there was no need for that. That's, that's certainly uh, different. Uh, but that, but my, my comment earlier had to do with more of an ontological as opposed to soteriological argument, to get fancy on my terminology here. <laughs> so an ontological argument is this, okay, what is the nature of God? God is eternal. Um, God is spirit. Um, God transcends the world. Um, the Trinity has always been there. In other words, the triune God didn't come into being once we fell. You see, you see what I'm getting at? So if the, if the triune God was always uh, the, you know, the, the, you know, the Lord God, then um, there uh, is some things to think about in terms of how God relates to his creation uh, in a triune way. I guess that's what I'm getting at. So, well, we can, we can go to, you know, passages in the New Testament that tell us about, you know, for example, Colossians um, or, even, or John chapter 1. Well, let's start with John chapter 1. Uh, there, you know, we're told uh, about two persons of the Trinity and, and their relationship to each other. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things, uh, he was, I'm sorry, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. That was my point. All things were made through him. Uh, and without him was not anything made that was made. Most of us don't think about Christ as the creator. But we just had here the second person of the Trinity identified as the one through whom all things came into being. So the, Christ was involved in the creation. So um, he's, our, he's our savior, but he's also uh, our creator. We see the same thing addressed in Colossians. So, uh, chapter 1, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So, He is uh, before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. So this is, this is the reason why when we see theophanies in the Old Testament, Christian theologians say this is the, you know, Christ. Um, the Father always transcends. If the Father were to enter into creation, it would not contain him, you could say. In other words, transcendence means distinction from creation. Complete, totally other. Holy other distinction, always. 
So it's the persons of the, 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 the second and the third persons of the Trinity that are, are always the ones who are uh, at work in you know, the world doing things. Anyway, any, any other thoughts? Yeah, David. Along this line, would you say God the Father hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and let his glory pass, or was that also Jesus? Well, the commentators, you know, church fathers, would always say that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. So something did happen in the incarnation that's brand new. <laughs> and that is, you know, the second person of the Trinity being, you know, well, we go back to, you know, John chapter 1. This is all challenging stuff, so I understand why this is hard to wrap your mind around because it's the divine mind at work <laughs> we're dealing with here. So we go back here. So beginning at verse 9 in chapter 1, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then jump down to verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. <coughs> Yeah, I think um, when you're first reading the Bible, you, you're still trying to understand things. You read Isaiah 6, and what Isaiah saw, you don't immediately go to Christ. You go to, it must be God the Father. But then when you start learning about Christophany, and then you read John 12, where Isaiah said he saw him, and if you read that, Isaiah saw Christ. It says in John 12, 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. And the pronoun there is Christ. Right. So, you know, I think sometimes that's what happens is we can kind of kind of get an idea of a theophany because a theophany is just a general revelation. Right. You dig in there, it's more of a Christophany. The pillar of light right. is Christ. Right. You know, the, this is why all of the typology in the Old Testament refers to Christ. Yeah. Right. Yep, yeah, Mark. There you go, yeah. So in that sense, in <laughs> yeah. that sense, we do have like an instinctive idea that we are seeing the Father. Yes, and in right. in a sense, we are because yeah. it's a perfect reflection of it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I think that's a good way to, 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 to bring in kind of these things together. Right. So, uh, and again, this gets back to the challenges of thinking in a Trinitarian way. Um, so, three persons, one essence. You can stress the three persons to such a degree that you lose sight of the one essence. And you can stress the one essence to such a degree that you lose sight of the three persons. But it's through the second and third persons of the Trinity that we have a relationship with the Father. In that, uh, speaking of, of angels and the, the, the praying and worship of angels, Make of that part of Colossians where Paul is talking about don't don't be defrauded by those who take their stands on visions who right. delight in the worship of angels. Did they have was their error there? Um, did they have a, 
developed view of Christ as a mediator at that time, or why were these guys worshiping angels? What was, yeah. what was up with that? Yeah. Well, apparently it was a problem because when angels show up, they're always saying, don't worship me. <laughs> you know, so they're, they're, this is a tendency that, that we have. And then, of course, angels are not all the same. You know, we got some bad ones. You know, like when people say, you know, an angel visited me. Well, which angel? <laughs> the devil's an angel, <laughs> right? The demons are angels. They're fallen angels. And they can disguise themselves, right? You know, they present themselves as angels of light. You know, they, they don't just necessarily, you know, I guess one of the ways maybe you can know that um, when somebody's telling you something that's not entirely the case is when, um, you know, they kind of get these matters confused. Um, so angels are messengers from God. And when they do their job, they make it real clear, I'm just the messenger. You know, you, you've heard, you know, the saying, you know, don't kill the messenger. <laughs> I'm just bringing the message. It's the same thing. They're just bringing the message. That's what the word angel means, bringing the message. Um, so they're messengers. They're creatures like we are. Once upon a time, they were not. They're not eternal. This is another thing you think about. They had a beginning. Now, they're eternal in, in another sense, and they don't have an end. But they're not eternal in the sense that they, they, have a, they do have a beginning. They're creatures. They're created. All things were made by him and for him, including unseen things. So what are the unseen things? Well, these creatures, these angels. Um. Never mind. Well, if it ever comes back, just let me know. <laughs> yeah, Mark. Just going back to the garden and the fall, you have, they're all creatures that are involved here. Satan is, uh, looking at this, he is a fallen angel. He is a creature. Eve is as well. And so pretty much they've encapsulated what happened at the fall there, and it continues on. That false worship is, is worshiping and listening to, and you think about Satan's then, um, when he comes to Christ in the wilderness and tempts him to worship him. Yeah, right. You know, that's, it is yeah. to worship me, yeah. and God, and Christ uses the words of Deuteronomy right. as the means of not worshiping him. Right. Checking him, correcting him, you know, rebuking him. Yeah. Think about, it, think about it this way. We all, I think, uh, have a, an appropriate um, desire to be respected. Um, but, you know, it can be taken too far, right? So I think one of the reasons why fame can be such a damaging thing is it can feed this sort of... Um, delusion that we have that we can be more than we are you know so you know you can be you can kind of um, be seduced uh, in ways through fame that you're not seduced in other ways if you see what I'm getting at so when we worship the creature we're actually harming the creature as well we're harming ourselves but we're also harming whatever creature we're over we're giving too much uh, regard to. Yeah. Um, about the Colossian passage and others, in the book of Acts, there's a lot of stuff where it kind of goes, and you mentioned Eusebius, I'm reading him right now, and a lot of a lot of the errors, I don't know, I kind of wonder about that name Eusebius. Is that his name, given name, or is that his name because he was. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I've, I've heard the same Anyways, thing. Anyways, um, 
Eusebius' history is like fourth century. He, he was in the fourth century. He, he stood next to Constantine. You know when they were at the Nicene, you know, Church of Nicene, the Nicene Creed. And so a lot of this stuff, <clears throat> you're just like, oh, that makes sense now. When you read Eusebius, you go, oh, that's what was happening. So the worship of angels, Gnosticism, all these things we see in the Book of Acts is so more, <clears throat> so much more. Ex- Explainable contemporaneous, that is to say, like the Eusebius, without which, by the way, this history is so important to be read, without which we wouldn't have a lot of knowledge about a lot of these guys that we're talking about, these the church right, right, right. So I, I recommend Eusebius, and it's a fun read because you think you're reading Martin Luther because they're both like the same, they have the same, like, you know, punchy, punchy and, and uh, <laughs> very, very uh, positive about the power of God. Yeah. Good, good and right Just when you were talking about fame, thinking about Herod. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. It's, this is a god, not a man. Exactly. <laughs> and how um, of him who much has been given, much is required. Herod had been given much in yeah. that regard. And he's just devoured immediately. It's not as though there weren't a lot of other rulers, including the Caesars yeah. who had claimed such a thing. Yeah. But I, I guess... I would, you know, propose that maybe they were a little more ignorant of the true God than Herod. Well, yeah, they don't have uh, the advantages that Herod had, but at the same time, it's also interesting to see how the power, you know, know, the old Lord Acton saying, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. I think fame works the same way. Um, You can have, get too much attention and it's bad for you. Yeah, Leanne? I heard a round table discussion among hugely popular uh, bands from Christian, contemporary Christian bands from the 90s who got out of the industry and it was a round table discussion with these these lead singers of these bands and one of the people said the adoration that we are putting on a human being that kind of adoration, that kind of glory, that kind of elevation should only be reserved for God. Yeah. And it breaks down because human beings are not designed to shoulder that kind of a weight. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bad for them. I guess that's one of the things I was getting at. You just think about all the famous people who just had, had bad endings. And you say, and he was such a... You know, think about Michael Jackson. Now, I, I know that with his, in his case, there were probably some really bad influences in uh, some unsavory ways, really bad ways. At the same time, you know, when you look at him when he was young, you know, when they were just getting started, you say, what a kid with potential and charisma and talent, stuff like that. He was just a, just a kid in a big family. <laughs> and they, they kind of got discovered, right? Uh, and then it was like Vanilla Jackson, you know, and... Neverland and all kinds of creepy stuff. Like, where did all this come from? And you just see him at different points in his life, and you're just like, man, is this this? What has happened to this guy? Also, with that, notice the progression of these mega icons. Notice the physical devolution, yeah. the physical degression. Your body was not made to withstand that kind of admiration. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, this is a dimension to this whole matter that I, you know, we've gotten into. It. I think it's a fruitful one. It's worth thinking about. But of course, the main thing is the only 
one who uh, we should be worshiping is not a creature, right? He's the creator, the one who made the creatures. And I think we can have respect, and we should for certain people, but we have to keep it always in check, and we always have to remind ourselves that people fall, people are sinful, people don't deserve this kind of adoration, and it hurts them. That's the, that's the thing I think that maybe we've gotten into here that's really worth noting. It's, it's, we're not helping. <laughs> we're not helping when we do this. Anyway, anything else we want to sort of address before we wrap up? Could you tell me for certain what is the spirit? That is for next week. Okay. <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, we've waded into deep water, and uh, we're glad that you helped us through it. If there's any way in which we've gotten uh, adrift, we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to find uh, something solid to hold on to from you. Pray, Lord, that uh, we will pray and uh, worship uh, as we should, uh, that we will uh, honor you and not creatures uh, with our worship. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>